curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. If I have a lot of listens to this particular episode, it's most assuredly because of the name of my guest. To say that Paul Bellantone has kept a low profile in his time at, as president and CEO of Promotional Products Association International, which is suggest that the sun rises in the West. For those of us that call the promotional marketing industry our home, Paul really needs no additional introduction as one of the most visible leaders in growing our industry. As my career evolved, I spent a considerable amount of time devoted to volunteering for the industry through PPAI, and during that time I had numerous chances to spend time with Paul, and I'm glad to be able to call you my friend, man. It's certain I wouldn't have the richness of our friendship had I not spent time giving back to the industry, and in many ways I feel like it's one of the greatest gifts my giving gave back to me, so... Thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I'm not worthy of that introduction, but it's great to be here with you. <laughs> well, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, my friend. Just remember that. <laughs> so, you know, the fun part for me is um, I, everyone knows you for that which you do on behalf of the industry. And while I recognize that you've given ample opportunity or had ample opportunity to speak in, in that capacity, you know, we and I like you run a successful business to a certain extent and I've always been curious about getting the opportunity to talk to you specifically about it and you know you and I will touch on it every now and again here and there you know specific to maybe someone who got fired or a a change in uh, leadership in a certain part of the organization but you know it's really there's elements of your personality I think that must recognize and accept the challenges that must come along with I mean, what is it, like 150 people now? Uh, 150. What's what's the where? size of the organization from an employee perspective? Uh, 80. 80. 80. We're right about 80 people. We, we're, we're generally between 79 and 81. We've actually been stable in that for 
three years now, four years. Okay. So, but, you know, I, I, I suspect that that stewardship of the organization that has 80 employees and families that come along with that, like the stewardship of that, I believe is important to you. Is that, would, would you say that's accurate? It absolutely is. I don't know that it's any more important than it is for any other business owner. So let me back up just a, a little bit. Um, so we're a $22 million organization. There you go. Uh, we've grown fairly significant over the last six or seven years. I think we've gone from um, 15 to 22. Uh, the size of our membership has doubled from about 7,000. We're up at 15,000 as of January. So from my perspective, it's about growing a business. We don't wake up every day and say, what would a good nonprofit do today? We right. say, what would a good business do to serve our customers, which happens to be members? What I have that a lot of the other companies in the industry don't have is a really cool tax designation. <laughs> so what we do is we have the ability to, um, to take the, the excess revenue that we generate, the excess profitability, you might call it in a, in a for-profit business, and roll it back into member services. So we don't do shared distribution at the end of the year like a for-profit might do. What we do is take the dollars, reinvest it back into programs that support the industry. Uh-huh. So, so not, not very different than what you've done in, in your career. Sure, absolutely. What, but I think in, in many ways, it, it sort of for, forms the underpinnings of what goes on with the organization and its efforts from an outreach perspective. But sure. perhaps those of us who are looking to you as an organization, as its trade association, don't always consider the notion of the fact that in order for the organization to be able to continue to provide more and better services to its members, it needs to grow. And absolutely. And the correlation between those two things oftentimes is missed, I believe, in the context of what the expectation is of the umbrella organization as a whole. Roger, you're, you're spot on. Um, I would say, though, that that's that's lessening during my tenure here. When I started with the association back in 98, um, which some 20 years now, it was almost um more of a country club feel. And every member wanted to be the last member, sure. right? Um, it was, you know, I'm here, you can shut the door now. We don't need another distributor. We don't need another supplier. But that was really pre-internet. Um, people didn't have access to the marketplace that, that they did. The only way they could get access back then was either through Sage or ASI or, or PPAI. Now you can have people functioning in our industry without ever even um, joining any of those organizations or becoming a customer of any of those organizations. There are people out there selling promotional products, manufacturing and putting them into the marketplace without being a member of anything. Right. So because it's changed that way, I think that there's an inherent recognition that for PPAI to be successful, it has to be bigger and it has to represent um, a, a larger audience. When I go to Washington, D.C., I cannot lobby just on behalf of members. Right. You know, I can't say, well, benefit these members, but not these here. And, and when it comes to product responsibility and compliance, we have to have a big umbrella because I can't, you know, if a non-member puts unsafe product into the marketplace, it affects the entire industry. Unquestionably. It was, it was probably um, 
12 or 15 years ago under my predecessor, we were in a strategic planning meeting and the, the board came up with this really profound statement. It says, we serve our members best when we serve the industry first. And that's what really pushed PPAI to become an umbrella organization to say, for our members to be successful, we need to have a vibrant community surrounding them. Uh-huh. So for you personally, as in your role as president and CEO, when you look at what motivates you, what gets you most out of the bed as a business person on a day in and day out basis, is it, is it, are you driven more by the growth or are you driven more by what the growth can do? Um, I, I would say yes. Um, there's actually a probably a third one in there. I like the growth because growth is a benchmark. Growth I'm able to look at, especially for a trade association. You know, you, you can judge your success at the end of the day by the number of products that get shipped, right? It doesn't mean you had a good day or a bad day, but you can, you can measure it. Sure. We don't have that ability here. Um, you know, we don't have a truck pulling up and loading some widgets in it and taking them away. So we, um, we determine our success by, did we put good content into the marketplace? Did we, um, did we make, help make somebody a little bit more successful? What is our retention rate? You know, how, how often are people saying, you know what, these guys are worth the $500 that I pay or the $1,000 that I pay. So there's that part of it. So the numbers mean something, but they're more of um, a benchmark that uh-huh. we use. Um, I, I think my personal drive, what gets me out of bed is I love working in marketing and advertising, and which is what we are. We forget that sometimes, unfortunately. I, I truly enjoy working with small businesses because I feel like I can make it. I enjoy working with small businesses because I know that we can make a difference. And not a week goes by where I don't hear from a, a member either by phone or by email, or I'm walking on a trade show floor, that tells me that somebody on my staff helped them grow their business, that helped them make a difference. And that's, that's interesting. That's, that's fun. That gets me out of bed. The third thing um, is I work for a nonprofit. And even though we don't treat it like a charity, I do know that the good that I'm doing is helping people um, be stronger and support families and support communities and, and support an industry. So I have three reasons to get out of bed. It's, it's the industry I work in, it's small businesses, and the fact that it's a nonprofit. I feel like I have the best of all worlds. There's the, the, uh, I'm reminded of the diagram of the three circles, and when you have the intersection of all of those three things, it's sort of when you've reached the apex of what you're trying to accomplish, the people that you work with, the cause that you have, and the success that you're trying to achieve. So that, that part is great. I guess as a nonprofit, though, and as the leader – are what are you held to growth growth measurement like to the board like is is that the way that the organization measures its success or or what does that relationship look like to a certain extent to know that the board is satisfied with your effort as the leader of the organization it's a great great question um i want to go back just a, a half step to something you said about those you know the three circles and where they intersect prior to this call we had a conversation where you talked about you are at your sweet spot. Like you are positioned for where you are right now better than you've ever been positioned that way before. I am fortunate in the leadership of this organization that I feel like I've, I'm in my sweet spot. Five years ago, I might not have been there. And five years from now, I might not be there. 
but you know, you make hay while the sun is shining, sure. as they say. The question about um, how the board evaluates it, there's a number of metrics. I have board members um, who evaluate my performance based on how I make members feel about the industry that they're in. And that shows up in, in some of our metrics. I get evaluated based on, are we dropping dollars to the bottom line to reinvest? Um, how, what do our recruitment numbers and our retention numbers look like? Is the, um, not that there's so much of a direct line, but is the industry growing? Uh-huh. Are we able to fend off, um, un, I don't want to say unfair, but unreasonable legislation or regulation? And, and interestingly, every board member has their own metric right. of what they think an association CEO should be doing. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's challenging. It's fun. At the end of the day, um, I'm my own biggest critic. <laughs> There's nothing that anybody on the board can tell me that, um, that I haven't thought about myself, about my performance and where I think we could be going. It's not, it's not for lack of uh, me not thinking about it. Sure. Well, the notion of holding oneself to a higher standard typically provides better results. If you're waiting for someone else to be your motivation to succeed, you might spend yeah. a, a little bit too long waiting and not get the opportunity to succeed. So uh, you, look, you look at, but no, knowing that you're in, in that moment when it's time to get it and get it good and get after it is, it can be gratifying because typically as we've described, right. And that, like you said, maybe not five years ago, oftentimes these opportunities at that kind of success are a long time in the making and, That's right. and being able to persevere and, and keep your eyes on that larger prize are oftentimes the difference between being able to have that opportunity and not. So it, agreed. And, and the good part of it is knowing when you're there and realizing it's time to drop the hammer and, you know, really get after it while the getting's good. So it's good to know that you feel like you're in that place. Um, so let me ask you sort of a, a, a little bit different kind of question. Um, you are on, you travel so much. It's, you know, there, there are fewer road warriors than you, my friend, when it comes to days spent on the road. And, you know, that, that has all of its own uh, dynamics as someone who spends a fair amount on the road himself, I understand. But I, I heard you once say that you've learned how to make peace with being away. So how, how does diff, what's different for you being on the road from being at home? And how do you use being away to your advantage? Um. You know, I, I think the suppliers and the multi-line reps in our industry are the true road warriors because every time that I'm on the road, I see them, and I'm pretty sure that they're not only on the road when I am. So <laughs> right. I, I, so, and, I, and I get to pick and choose my spots a little bit sure. more, but I do value that alone time, that time um, where I get to reflect, where I get to work focused um, on on what I need to get done versus having, you know, the phone ringing or people coming into the office or the, sometimes the endless meetings that we have here at the associations or conference calls. I've, I've come to learn to appreciate it. I am an introvert, believe it or not. And I think that's the hardest thing that people um, have a hard time realizing with me because they see me in such public um forums and whether, you know, it's speaking on a big stage at Expo or yesterday I spoke to, you know, 20 people at a 
Wisconsin event, you know, there were buyers in the room and talking about the, the value of promotional products. My recharge time is actually alone. It's not around other people. So, you know, like everyone else who's an introvert, we get out there and we do what we need to do to keep the, you know, the train moving forward. But the times that we reflect and recharge and rebuild and re-energize are times that I feel like I'm alone and, and, you know, either sitting at the piano or sitting in my hotel room or doing one of those things that people might not know about. Yeah, well, and uh, it's it's interesting. The last interview I did was with uh, Tiffany Tarr, and we talked a lot about energy. And, you know, Tiffany feeds on a completely different kind of energy than Paul does. Well, she's a force of nature. I mean, I, I get around her and I'm exhausted when she's done because well, she's just so much energy. Exactly. And, and for someone that doesn't have that that same persona and is also sensitive to when you see someone else that does, it's, it's poignant in a lot of ways to be able to see someone else that completely comes at it from a different perspective. And the beauty of it is, is there's no one way to get it done. But yeah. um, I guess to the topic and and it's it's consistent you know in this conversation with you is having a good understanding of where you find your energy is the most important part and if you haven't really gotten clear on how that happens for you then you can't be as effective as you will be should you be able to do that and i think maybe to a certain extent that comes from with experience and it also to a certain extent i think traveling accelerates the trip to that place because yes. you get forced to by virtue of if going out and drinking in the bar every night is what you think energizes you and it doesn't, it is so terrible. <laughs> yeah. Is, Roger, if you haven't figured it out or if you don't figure it out, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Quite frankly. Right. Um, I, and it was, I think it was a uh, 2000, I'm trying to think what year it was, 2008, 2009, right around that area. I was doing a lot of traveling. I was actually the number two at the organization at the time. And I got tired of, you know, the, the networking in the bar at night, even though it was part of the job. And so I, I actually got my MBA while I was traveling just to keep me in a room focused on things that were, um, that were my strong suit right. versus putting myself out of my element right. um, and, and constantly being tired. People said, like, where did you find the time to do that? I just replaced time that I, I wasn't doing things that I felt like I was good at or that were best for yeah, me. Yeah, for sure. No, and, and, you know, we there's a multitude of people, given what you said about the population of, of our community that is on the road for such a dramatic amount of the year. You know, it's really important for, and especially even for people coming into the industry, you know, it, it can it can eat your lunch if you let it. Yeah. And I think it's the responsibility of some of us that have been around for a while to to pass that message on as our industry gets a little bit younger is, yeah, it can be fun. But yeah. if that's not what's comfortable to you, you don't have to do it. That's right. Right. That's so. Right. All right. So, Paul, I've got one last one for you. Uh, I, by virtue of being the author and distributor of this podcast, grant myself the ability to tell you you've been given the financial freedom you don't have to worry about earning an income anymore and because of it you've decided that you're going to go pursue other interests you're going to go on a mission trip to central america and you are stepping down in your position as the president and ceo of ppai 
What would be your perspective on where things are industry-wise at the moment? And, you know, what, what would be your message to folks at this stage of where we are as an industry? Um, so I get to, to tell people whatever I want without recourse. Without recourse. <laughs> um, and then what, what am I going to do with that? Get moving. Stop talking about it. Stop, um, stop the, the complaining. Stop complaining about what suppliers may or may not be doing and stop complaining about who's going direct and stop complaining about, you know, my customer found this thing for four cents less or we are in an industry where, where people love us. People, there's no other industry where when, when you're marketing to somebody, they say thank you and, and they want our products. And, and we have research that shows that it's, um, that it's powerful and that it works. I would just encourage people, you know, put your big boy pants on and go out there and, and be the best at this thing that you could be. But don't get sucked up by the social media and the constant downward spiral of negativity. Just do it. Just it's, it's not productive. It's not healthy. It's not growing the industry. Sure. Just get out there and do it. And if you're not going to do it, then go do something else. Because I, I, I think that it's just taking up um, space. It's, it's creating noise that, that's not driving people to be better at what they're doing. So uh, I know that's not popular in the day of social media. I know that there's um, a lot of chat groups and, you know, ways that people communicate where that seems to be the, the, the dominant messaging out there. But I would just say to just go out and do it. And I know that you actually have um, one of these interviews coming up. We spoke about this really briefly about somebody who just gets out there and does it every single day and is having record years year after year. I, I, you're talking about Jill Albers. I'll give up the name on it. She is, she's the guru of this. She just focuses on the positivity and the, and the great things that she could bring a customer. And she doesn't get bogged down in, in the minutia of, you know, the pennies and which suppliers, you know, answering their call after two rings or three rings, whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah. It's, it, it, it th that one's going to be fun. It's going to be so good. And, but, uh, the, the other recurring guest that I have on the show and we're doing another one is, uh, Matt Lamb from Facilis <laughs> Group. And he, one of the most famous lines in all of my podcast history is Matt Lamb saying, in the last 10 years, I haven't seen anyone in the promotional products industry killing it with social media, but I've seen a lot of people killing it with hard work and focus. <laughs> Absolutely. So take my entire answer that I just gave you, scratch the whole thing, replace it with Matt Lamb right. and say, Paul agrees with this. Right. That's really what it's about. Right. That's what it's about. Well, and to me, like if you're going to spend time online and we all are, find people that can teach you stuff that you can go use to go not have that problem anymore and use all of that energy on learning the stuff that the people are trying to tell you and trying it and seeing if it works. And if it doesn't, then you can come back on social media and bash all those people for it being wrong. But if you're saying, I don't want to do anything other than just complain about what's happening, there's a lot of other people trying to give you ways to be more successful if you're willing to look and listen. So it's just a matter of making that choice in a lot of ways to say either I'm going to be a victim of this or I'm not. 
So the social media thing is interesting, Raj, I'll just take another minute. For the association, our presence on social media has actually been very beneficial. And I would tell you that my presence on social media has been, has been beneficial to the PPAI brand and my own brand because we are, we, I don't, again, I don't have that truck at the end of the day where I, me being on social media, um, sells a membership. Right. But I can tell you that me being on social media makes people feel good about the association that they're part of sure. because they, our social media presence talks about the advocacy and it talks about the legislative work and it talks about the product safety work and it talks about the things in the industry. My role is different than the traditional salesperson's role in the industry who has to sell a product or, or solve a solution. People want to feel good about the industry that they're in. They want to. They want to feel like their their association is connected to their business. My friend, I does that. The association's presence does that, and that shows up in our retention. Mm-hmm. I think nobody joins an association because of their legislative and product safety sure. work, but people retain their membership when they realize that somebody's out there doing that for them. And for us, social media is the best way to do that. Well, and I would say my observation from from here of you there on social media is you're able to even have this discussion because you're listening. And while you may not like what's being said and you're wanting to provide your viewpoint on a group or groups that are expressing things that are what, you know, you're addressing in this moment, there's a lot of your peers perhaps in other businesses that would not even know that that conversation is going on. So The, the beauty of it to me is you're aware of, you're aware of almost everything. It shows your investment, personal investment in being willing to listen, not just when you show up to shake people's hands, but when you are wherever you are at all times, you're always listening and it's very obvious. So, um, Roger, it's irrelevant whether or not I like what people are doing on social media, but I sit high enough up like at that 30,000 foot level that I could tell you where success is happening. Sure. And, and it's, you know, the people who are on there talking about their lives or the people who are out there making their lives. Yeah. And, and that's the difference for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the beauty of it is you can achieve success in any way, shape or form. And there's really no right or wrong way to do it. And it's America. You can say whatever you want. And that's like what what social media gives us is the chance to say whatever we want. So it's a matter of like. Some people would say, well, no one's paying attention to what Roger's saying. And to me, this isn't about that. It's about giving people a chance to hear something that might be of benefit to them and whether it gets to you or not, or if it benefits you or not. I just feel like my responsibility is to give you that chance if you want it. And so that's the beauty and sort of the evil of social media all wrapped up into one, the paradox of of what it's become. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, Paul, listen... Uh, you know, you, the, the hard part about this is that I feel like we could, you and I could just keep going, but uh, we may be boring folks. And I know that you have a meeting you need to get to. So I, I can't thank you enough for your time and your perspective and your insight on all of that. And hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again. I appreciate it, Raj. Thanks so much.